Welcome to Forward Looking Leadership, a podcast for visionary executives building future-ready organizations. I'm your host, Dan Freeling. I'm the founder of the coaching and consulting practice Contempus Leadership, developing the leaders and teams you want in charge through cutting-edge approaches and common-sense solutions. I'm honored to be joined today by Dr. Jamie Goff. Jamie is the Director of Leadership Development at Christus Health, a nonprofit healthcare system with over 600 centers, 15,000 physicians, and 45,000 total associates across the U.S. and Latin America, where she leads the design, implementation, and evaluation of leadership development programs. She's also the president and founder of the Empathic Leader LLC, a coaching and consulting firm that specializes in helping leaders understand the emotional, systemic, and relational factors that lead to individual, team, and organizational success, and the author of the forthcoming book, Rewrite Your Leadership Story, Overcoming Anxiety and Insecurity to Fulfill Your Leadership Potential. With a prior career in academia and a PhD in family and child ecology specializing in marriage and family therapy from Michigan State University, Jamie brings a unique perspective to leadership development, which I can't wait to explore in our conversation. Leaders and L&D practitioners, you're in for ideas and insights way beyond the same old, same old for leadership development. Thanks for joining me on Forward Looking Leadership, Jamie. Thank you for having me, Dan. Thanks so much for taking the time. I, I can't wait to get into this um, and and hear from from all of your experience and backgrounds on, on all of these areas, Jamie. Absolutely. So first, I think that the background in marriage and family therapy is is just fascinating to me. So uh-huh. I'd, I'd love to hear how that how that has influenced your views on leadership and leadership development. Well, yeah, and you know, some people when they learn that they're a little confused and they're like, "Huh, interesting," but. I really think that ultimately leadership is about relationships, right? And one of the things that really distinguishes the field of couple and family therapy from other mental health fields like psychology or social work is its foundation in systems theory and its focus on those human relationship dynamics. So I just truly believe that whether you're looking at dyad relationships, families, teams, organizations, you're essentially looking at a human system. And all human systems are really governed by the same operating principles, regardless of the context in which you find that human system or or even how large they are. And so I really feel like I draw my background in couple and family therapy every single day of my work, whether that's, you know, when it comes to designing leadership development programs, coaching leaders and executives, even, you know, leading my own team. Because I truly think that if you have an understanding of how human relationships work, The other leadership challenges that you face, they become a lot more manageable. And regardless of what you might be dealing with as a leader and those hard decisions that you have to make, if you start with consideration of the human relationship dynamics, I think you're really going to be setting yourself up up for success. I've come around to a lot of that, too, and just seeing all these these different um, ways of getting at that human experience. And I I, I do think leadership is, is just another way of getting at that that human experience, um, as you've been mentioning. And when you start seeing all these different concepts from different academic fields, it, it seems like they're all getting at a kind of similar core mm-hmm. message in, in my experience. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So this book sounds absolutely fascinating <laughs> as well. So um, <laughs> yeah, you. I'd love to hear what led you to write the book and what the core message is of it. Yeah, absolutely. I think like a lot of you know authors and potential authors out there, Um, I've been thinking about this book for a really long time, and I actually wrote my first blog post that was related to this topic probably about 10 years ago, and even 
um, kind of did some lunch and learns in uh, my formal organization, taught some classes to leaders around this uh, topic. But honestly, at the time, I didn't get a whole lot of response or traction when I would, you know, share what I was writing about and thinking on like LinkedIn and, and social media. Um, and so it was a little discouraging uh, at the time. But as I look back, I th- I just don't think it was the right time. Um, for mm. what I was really wanting to say, if I'm being honest, I don't think people were ready for it. Um, I think still at that time, of course, I was pre-COVID, right? Um, and the field of leadership development was still highly dominated by more traditional approaches that you know focus on skill building, right? Or basically, it's more like management. How do we manage other people's work and drive results? Those types of you know kind of technical functional aspects of leadership and management, um, and you know, with my book, I'm going to be asking people to go a lot deeper um, than that as they consider their leadership style and behavior. And so I think now is the right time and people are really hungry for something deeper. I think a lot of that is due to everything we've experienced, right, since 2020. Um, And leaders are really struggling to adjust to the demands of that kind of post-COVID politically polarized, trauma-exposed workforce um, that we weren't really dealing with in the same ways um, before 2020. And I think we see that in some of the recent research that, you know, firms like McKinsey and Deloitte are are putting out, you know, where we're seeing that, you know, 75% of workers are saying the most stressful thing about their work is their manager. Um, And 56% of workers are saying that their leaders are mild or highly toxic, um, so there's something going on uh, at a deeper level. Um, and so I think as I look at that current research, the challenges leaders are facing, the expectations that are putting that are being put on leaders right now, the different things their employees are looking for um, in their organizations and from their leaders, I think now the the time is right. And so that's really just inspired me to, you know, dig in and actually write uh, the book that I've been thinking about for um, such a long time. Yeah, this this sounds like it's so it's so needed, <laughs> and and that that timing is is just perfect on it. I, I do feel like COVID has has quickened a lot of these what what would have come eventually, but were were kind of longer term transitions into this this new way of working and getting away from that kind of like industrial era managerial economy is something that that comes up over yeah. and over for me um in thinking about this and I, I totally agree that it's it's really sped that up a lot and I'm, I'm glad the time is right for the book yeah and just in a yeah. in, in, in a nutshell like what is the what is the the book about <laughs> yeah I think, um, so like I said, it, it, it goes a lot deeper. It goes to a different place than I think most leadership books do in that I'm really asking um, leaders uh, in my book to really examine where their leadership story has come from. And I think when I say story, you know, I'm really talking about those kind of neurological connections that we develop and those scripts that we live our lives by. Um, and those scripts that we have about how we interact with the world around us and with the people um, that we encounter on a day-to-day basis, both personally and professionally, those, those scripts are really helpful um, because they help us to make predictions. They help us when we're under stress. Um, they kind of guide our how we think and what we do, how we feel. 
And they're heavily influenced, and this is where it gets a little different, I think, from what a lot of other leadership books um, get into. I think those scripts are heavily influenced by our very early experiences in life, even going back to very early childhood. And we know that from research. We, um, you know, my area of expertise is really attachment theory. And what attachment theory basically says is that the most fundamental human need is for connection. And before we're even aware of it in our lives, in our early lives, we're answering two really fundamental questions about how we navigate human relationships. The first one is, am I worthy? Am I worthy of love, belonging, dignity, connection? The second fundamental question is, are other people trustworthy? And a lot of times, we don't even realize how powerful our responses to those questions are. And unless we're really intentional about looking at how we interact with those questions, we may not even realize uh, how much they're driving us. So with my book, I'm digging in, asking leaders to really dig into how they answer those questions and then how their responses to those questions develop these scripts for them and, um, and how they're driving their leadership whether that be in kind of healthy or unhealthy ways. Um, so, so yeah, that I think in a nutshell is what I'm asking leaders to do. And, and so the first half of the book is really about identifying like, what is the problem? What's your leadership story? What's that script look like for you? And then in the second half of the book, we get into some of those rewriting techniques. So how do you fundamentally change how you respond to those two questions? Um, in your interactions with with other people, so um, so yeah, I think in a I guess that's a nutshell, if you will, uh, <laughs> of what the what the book's about. But I'm happy to expound or clarify. No, I think that's that's great, and it's a it's it's wonderful when you have a, a concept that that goes that deep that it, it can't be um, yeah. like so much of a nutshell. <laughs> so this is a this is really great. I'd, I'd love to hear more on. Th- those two questions so that yeah, yeah. Um, am I worthy and are other people trustworthy? Mm-hmm. How, how do those show up in leadership? Yeah. You know, I think that what we're looking at currently with leadership is we have to be paying attention to who the who, right? So not the how, not the what, but the who. And those two questions really get at the who. Those are the first two questions that were really, that really are informing our identity um, from the time that we are coming to this world, from the time we're infants. And in terms of how they specifically show up um, in leadership, for example, let's take the first question, am I worthy of, you know, love, belonging, dignity, connection? And you can take that just even just stopping with, am I worthy? If you have a leader, for example, who really, um, maybe the problem that you see as that leader's leader, um, perhaps, is that they are really struggling to delegate. They can't do it. Their, their teams are frustrated because they're not being empowered to do their work. The leader is down in the weeds right there. <laughs> you know, th- they want to do everything. They, you know, um, they're they're not empowering their teams. They're not growing and developing their team members, and their team members are just kind of stuck, right? They're you know they're they're not growing. They're not moving forward. Well, if you think about that question, am I worthy? What it's what's going on, perhaps, for that particular leader? And my guess is, or my hypothesis is, and I think you know I'm right about this, 
is that they're on some fundamental level, that leader feels like in order to be worthy of, you know, praise, of acceptance, of belonging, they have to prove themselves mm. and they have to, and that it's really based on their performance and their achievement, not just their fundamental dignity as a human being, right? Um, so that's, I think, one example of how that question can really impact how someone shows up as a leader. And then with the second question, I would say using that same example, you know, around are other people trustworthy, fundamentally, that leader probably doesn't think that's the case, right? Because that leader doesn't trust that their team members are going to be able to achieve the outcomes that they're looking for. Um, and so they don't, fundamentally, they don't trust their team members uh, to follow through, to perform with excellence, to achieve, you know, those, those goals. Um, and so that's just one example, I think, of how you can see how people are responding and interacting with those two questions on a deep level can show up in leadership. That makes so much sense. And it, mm -hmm. I, I love that it humanizes toxic leadership in, in some ways where it's so easy to just write that off as this right. person's a yes. jerk and there's no reason behind it and there's nothing we can do to, okay, there's, there are these really fundamental psychological questions behind this and how do you then use those to either as a coach or as a, a manager of them or as managing up of like, how do I use those to influence a better yeah. way of being mm -hmm, for mm -hmm. these people? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And this is another area. You mentioned the who and yeah. um, I know we're, we're both trained coaches and that's always such a big coaching mm -hmm. concept of getting to the who and a lot of what I think about often and, and work with other people on is really expanding upon that of what does that mean practically? Like, how do you get to the who? What is the who? And there's no simple answer on it, obviously, but <laughs> I, I love this angle on, um, you know, attachment theory being part of, of the who um, and, and really getting to that rather than just kind of trying to rattle off people's values or like flag when mm -hmm. they say something that's you know, raises a raises something that that's of interest to go into further. It's okay. This is this is one way of looking at at what constitutes the who and how can I be intentional about paying attention to that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, and I think that you know, again, for for me, that's kind of the background I come out of. I mean, that's the most funda fundamental. And and though how we respond to those two questions around our identity in many ways, that's what ends up informing our values as well, right? Right, right. Because if you are like, again, going back to the example of that leader uh, that I was sharing, that leader, you know, people have values for achievement, right? Well, <laughs> that's probably largely informed by their, you know, fundamental belief that in order to, you know, be worthy, they have to achieve. Um, so I really think our values even flow out of how we respond to those two questions. I, I again, I just I just think this is such a needed contribution to the field of of leadership development and bringing in this other already really well researched and well developed uh, field and emerging it. And I think is so key because I, I you know one one issue I have with a lot of the academic leadership literature is, is how isolated it can be from mm -hmm. other well-established fields. And I think you're, you're, you're providing a, a real contribution to it by, by bringing this in. Thank you. Thank you. 
I hope so. I think so. <laughs> I think, you know, I hope and I think that it brings a, a unique perspective and, you know, helps people look a little deeper maybe than they typically would. Absolutely. Absolutely. So in terms of putting this into practice, so, so yeah. if there's leaders, <laughs> if there's L&D people, if there's managers, whoever is listening to this and, and they're, they're saying, okay, this makes, this makes sense. I really, you know, there, there's, there's mm. something to this. I can see this playing out in the workplace. What, what can they do to, to really put, put the concepts in this book into practice? Yeah, I think that's, um, that's a bit challenging, right? Because what I'm proposing really does not entail those kind of quick, easy solutions um, because we're really talking about, again, like I said, kind of deeper work um, and we're asking people to look at, or I am, <laughs> I guess, to really dig in and look at some of those internal you know, barriers, those uh, deep um, stories that are, you know, really that are adaptive more so than technical challenges. Mm -hmm. um, and it's, you know, easy to give kind of quick fixes for technical challenges, but um, a little harder to do that with adaptive challenges. But, you know, that makes it a little hard to say, you know, do these three things and, you know, you're going to help your leaders, you know, kind of rewrite those scripts or remove their, you know, internal barriers. Um, and this really requires, I think, a lot of transparency and vulnerability on the part of leaders. Um, but with that being said, I do think there are, you know, maybe a few things that organizations can begin paying attention to um, when it comes to leadership development. And um, so first, I would say that, you know, I think we need to shift leadership development away from focusing primarily on tools, conversation models, tips and tricks, et cetera. And, and those are the things that, especially when it comes to training, right, that, that we tend to, to focus on most. Um, and those can be helpful. It's not that they, it's not helpful to teach leaders those things, but if they're struggling with the deeper story or, you know, internal barriers that are getting in their way, those tools aren't going to help them. So we also need to start thinking about those inter deeper internal adaptive changes um, that leaders need to make to meet those demands uh, that we're making of them in the current climate. Um, so given that kind of necessary shift in how we think about leadership development, I think we need to be willing uh, to address those deeper issues and actually talk about them in the workplace, which I know can get a little bit, you know, that can be a little dicey. I mean, you don't want to become, you know, you want to do therapy <laughs> with your leaders, um, obviously, but I don't think you have to, to do that. And you can certainly hopefully have resources um, if that is a need. But uh, I really think those issues are already showing up. Right. We just don't talk honestly about them, about what's going on. Um, so I think we can start to or organizations can start to create some awareness um, of some of these issues in training workshops. But I think when leaders are really struggling, I think this is where investing in one on one coaching um, can be um, you know, really, really strategic and, and very helpful. Um, because that's where that honesty and real vulnerability and kind of digging in a bit deeper um, might be more appropriate um, for, for leaders to do that. Yeah, you, you and I are just so, so aligned on this. And I, I came out of a, a learning and development background with, and I know you're in a, a healthcare system, and I was in a, a public health agency with mm -hmm. it. And I think there is this very technical mindset that's so great yeah. for a lot of medical issues and problems sure, and yeah. 
it makes a ton of sense, right? And you you do need mm-hmm. that highly technical approach and all of the the complications that that come with that, and making sure that you're checking off every single element of of what's going to change something. And then I, I do think it hits a hits a real barrier in the leadership element of it where it's you can't just apply these quick fixes and you know a checklist of the things you're supposed to do to leadership and expect it to be fixed and it's Mm -hmm. it's really that that more in-depth adaptive conversation than the the technical toolkit kind of a thing yeah and i I think that's so key and I, i i think that's right in in terms of how organizations and leaders can and should respond to it is Interventions like one-on-one coaching are strategic, as you've said, and they really get at the heart of what's going on rather than just investing in more kind of tick-the-box training. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you know one of the things, and this is something you know in uh, my organization, but one of the things that you know talent development, you know L and D uh, professionals can really do is you know. For, for us, for example, we do engagement um, surveys on a quarterly basis, which is uh, sometimes frustrating, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, for, for leaders and associates, um, but is also just so helpful in identifying ongoing patterns, right? right? So, you know, in, in, in our organization, you know, we have very high engagement scores across the board. We're typically in the top, you know, 5 to 10% um, with regard to like national benchmarks um, in healthcare. So overall, like we're doing great, but if, when we look deeper and we look at those results, often what we find is it's kind of the same leaders who are struggling, right? So you can identify the patterns, like who are the leaders who seem to be, if you have those engagement, um, you know, scores and you're kind of seeing the same patterns over and over again, especially if you are doing them a bit more frequently, then that helps you really, identify in, you know, a real data-driven way, like who might really be struggling with something deeper because those we're, we're teaching kind of the same skills to all of our leaders. Some are getting it. Most of them are getting it and doing really great. They're probably have a pretty healthy story. They're probably answering those two questions that we talked about earlier. And generally speaking, yeah, I'm worthy. And yeah, I can trust other people, right? The leaders who we see that pattern, they're continually struggling with their team's engagement. And you can look, you know, overall engagement, but then also dig down into specific questions. Um, my guess is what you're going to see. They're they're struggling on a deeper level in terms of how they're responding to those two questions. And then that's how we can just really look for those patterns and identify who needs more of that, you know, perhaps one-on-one uh, coaching assistance to really get where they need to be. Such a practical way to approach it um, of of using yeah not not just ignoring all the good things that come with data and and surveys and all that actually using them to to really narrow in on where your interventions are going to be most effective and and bring that in I think that's that's a real tangible takeaway for folks yeah absolutely and I think there are some things that just generally speaking um, when we're talking about leadership development. You know, we can think about what are some of the things, topics or areas we can make sure we're addressing, you know, in more of the, the, the training setting, um, right, that 
help people grow cognitively and emotionally and become more you know, mature and more healthy. So talking about things like, of course, emotional intelligence is popular um, to talk about, but even beyond just, oh, this is what emotional intelligence is, but you know, there are ways we can help people be more emotionally self-regulated, right? We can help them build their emotional self-regulation um, and that will help them become more mature cognitively and emotionally. So they're kind of growing, not just in terms of their toolkit, um, but growing as a person uh, as well. Right, right. Focusing in on yeah, building those building those skill sets that that seem quote unquote soft, but are actually what's what's underneath you know maturity as a, as yeah. a human. That's that's so important there. So, question I, I like to ask, um, I think almost all of our guests is um, <laughs> these changes you're foreseeing in the business world. And this can be, you know, this can be however you want to take it. It can be in the healthcare space. It can be business overall. Um, what do you, what do you foresee in the next five or 10 years changing in the business world? Um, yeah, as I was <laughs> thinking about this, I'm, um, not necessarily, you know, of a futurist and and I might be a little bit of of a luddite Dan I don't know cuz I'm sure <laughs> <laughs> you know of course everyone is talking about AI um mm-hmm. and all of the changes that AI AI are you know going to bring in um I don't know how much healthcare is really digging into that, <laughs> into into AI uh quite quite yet um and for me personally when it comes to AI I I'm like I said, I might be a little bit of a Luddite. I might be one of the few people who I have not even touched chat GPT. Um, I'm like, I don't want my life to be more ruled by algorithms and machine learning than it already is. <laughs> <laughs> um, but with that being said, um, I do think that we need to really seriously begin thinking about what it truly means to be human. Um, and how we'll bring humanity to workplaces that are becoming more and more dominated by advanced technology. Mm. Um, and so, because, you know, it, it, it's coming and I know I need to, there's no way to avoid it. Um, right. Uh, AI and technology will continue to advance even further. And I think I was just reading something earlier, you know, we're, the jobs that are going to grow are those that are, you know, very highly skilled and those, you know, um, those knowledge areas, but we're going to start creating even more of a economic gap, I think, because, you know, the jobs that are more automated are probably going to be, you know, taken over by, you know, AI and technology even more so than they, than they already are. So I have some concerns, you know, about what that's going to do for, economic disparity. Um, so I think we need to be paying attention to just humanity and dignity and, um, you know, how all of this is impacting things on that economic and that, that just that level of justice, mm-hmm. um, you know, more, more deeply. Um, and in some ways, as I think about what current and younger you know, generations of workers are really looking for, you know, we were reading things about their wanting more belonging and connection and purpose, right, in the in the workplace. And in some ways, I think that's due to that felt sense of disconnection. 
um, of human disconnection, right? And so I think that that's going to become even more relevant as AI and other advanced technologies continue uh, to proliferate, that we're going to really have to think carefully about what it means to be human and how we bring humanity and what, um, not only what it means, but what what's the value? Like what is unique about what we as humans bring um, that can't be replaced? So. I don't think that's a lot I answer at all. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> no, I, I totally, I totally um, share a lot of that sentiment. Yeah. I, I kind of, I view it as almost like two concurrent prongs of, of how we're moving forward where there's going to be the technological progress that we have to, you know, be open to mm-hmm. and it's going to happen regardless. And, right, right. And then simultaneously almost going down and in depth into the, exactly what you brought up. The what is the what does it mean to be human? What does it mean mm-hmm. to have dignity? How do we leverage that and and make that a core part of what we're doing as professionals? And I kind of see them almost merging together in that, like as as all of the kind of rote managerial or rote technical tasks slowly get automated away or able to be done by, by AI what's left and, and, you know, how do you, mm-hmm. how do you bring that front and center um, now before it's, it's like, you know, you're in a crisis situation with it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm, I'm going to kick us down the road 50 years and oh. I know there's no way to, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> to yeah. know about this. Um, oh, gosh. What could you even imagine 50 years uh, from now in, in the, the space? Yeah, I, that is so hard to say because it seems like, you know, things just move so quickly. Um, you know, I grew up in the 80s, so I was grew up on a dot matrix printer and playing Oregon Trail on <laughs> the huge desktop computer, you know, <laughs> that my dad brought bought and brought home. But um, and I could have never, you know, looking back, it's like you could have never imagined like where where things would be just haven't even lived on this earth 50 years yet. Right. So um, it's, yeah, it's kind of, it's kind of mind blowing. So um, I mean, I hope, I guess what I, what I hope for is that, you know, we will, uh, I try to be optimistic. (laughs) Um, uh, I try to be optimistic, but you know, I, I hope that, you know, as we advance in technology and, you know, AI and machine learning and all, all of this, and who knows what else might be out there on the horizon. I think my hope is that we just, we use that in ways that promote, like you were saying, I guess, that, that we're able to maybe, if some of the kind of problems or challenges that we're dealing with now, maybe we can take care of those. Uh, You know, that's what I hope that some of those things that can be solved by technology will be, which will allow us to really, you know, focus resources and time and thought on, yeah, human, human dignity and human flourishing um, and really helping people live into, you know, and, and have, whole identities and really live into their purpose and, and, and 
into dignity. Um, so I hope that's over time what technological advancement will enable us to do. Um, those are my hopes. I, I don't know. I guess, I guess we'll see. Right. Right. No, here, here's to that. That's, <laughs> that sounds like the, uh, <laughs> the, the, the real optimistic, um, case. I, I think it's incumbent upon, you know, people who, who want that kind of a future mm-hmm. to, to work toward it in, in some ways too. Yeah, and absolutely. I think that's beautiful. So in looking at the, the leadership and management space, um, I know there's so many concepts out there and there, you know, you were saying earlier on um, what was popular even pre pandemic mm-hmm. um, in terms of leadership theory and, and that kind of stuff. What's, what's a popular leadership or management theory or concept that you disagree with or think is overhyped in some ways? Yeah, I was trying to think about this. Um, and I don't know, I, I, I think disagree is a, you know, I, I think there's value, right? I, I mean, I think there's value even in, you know, in various, you know, leadership theories and um, leadership and management concepts. Um, I just don't think they provide so, so I don't know that there's like a particular concept or theory that I would say I disagree with, um, but I think there's just not, they're not expansive enough. Most of, most of what out, is out there is not expansive enough. Um, so I might, you know, sound a bit by a broken, like a broken record, but I think just as we've been talking about, it's really about a, a way that another um, author puts this. And um, he and I have had some conversations around this. It's um, Ryan Gottfriedson and he has a book called The Elevated Leader. I don't know if you've um, read it, but I just like how he describes it. So I'll, I'll refer to him, Please. but he talks about um, vertical and he's not the only one, but vertical rather than horizontal leadership development. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's really what uh, I'm focused on as well. And so I think that's where, so it's not necessarily a disagreement, but I think most of what has been out there is really focused on that horizontal leadership development. Again, equipping leaders and managers with a big toolbox um, of things they can pull out of their toolbox to you know, apply to problems they encounter. Um, whereas vertical leadership development is more about the who um, of the leader and really like we've been talking about kind of digging into their identity and those, um, those stories they tell themselves, um, and helping them to make significant adjustments in, in those areas and tackle the adaptive challenges that they're dealing with overcoming their, you know, some of their assumptions that really drive them that are harmful and, you know, not helping them, uh, anymore. And so I think that's, that's where I would say I think it's more such a huge focus on horizontal development is what I would say I I disagree with and want to see us moving more into that um, focus on vertical leadership development. It's it's harder. Uh, it takes more work to do that. It requires more. It's more. It's riskier, right? <laughs> because it when is. you're asking leaders to engage in deeper conversations, um, you have to be able to go into those places with them. I, I love the vertical versus horizontal mm-hmm. development framing because it, it gives some way to describe what we know as coaches and people who've studied, mm-hmm. you know, real organizational development and real leadership development. And yeah, seen it, seen where where the the sort of horizontal tactical elements hit their limit, and mm-hmm. 
it's it's so helpful to have this this kind of a a framing in it and you know i think it's it's something that's tough to present in a lot of ways when mm-hmm. it's so much easier to say okay we're going to do all of this horizontal leadership development and we you know we're going to we're going to offer this many things and we're going to have these metrics and all of this kind of stuff and it's it's much harder to present the real vertical leadership development that's needed of of getting to the getting to the who and and mm-hmm. helping people overcome um a lot of what what you've described and help people expand on the strengths they bring to it and i i just think it's it's um it's a it's a greater challenge as you said but i think it's necessary and worthwhile yeah and i mean if we can help leaders grow vertically then all of those tools that we've taught them kind of on the horizontal level are, they'll be more equipped to use them effectively. Right. Right. Yeah. So again, it's not that those, those tools that, you know, that horizontal leadership development, it's not that it's unnecessary. Um, It's just that it has to be in order to be really used effectively. I think it really has to be partnered um, with the focus on vertical development. I think that's so that's so well said and yeah it, it makes it makes um total sense in any other endeavor where you have both like tools and personal development that you know once you're once you're more developed as a as a person and, and able to use those tools more effectively that that all of the, the different things that you're you're learning about the tools themselves become more applicable and more useful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So um, Christus is a Catholic organization, and mm-hmm. I know you've worked for other Christian organizations in the past. I, I'm interested in in what role, if any, you see uh, sort of like Christian values and principles playing in leadership development, even for people who might not be at a, a Christian affiliated firm or might not be Christian themselves. Yeah, yeah. You know, I think at Christus. Um, our core values are dignity, excellence, compassion, integrity, and stewardship. Um, and for Christus specifically, these values are, you know, they're based on Catholic teachings, right? But those aren't uniquely Christian things. <laughs> and you're going to see some of those same values, right, that are espoused by non-faith-based organizations. So they're not uniquely Christian, although, you know, for an organization like Christus, they they are based in you know, that, that Catholic teaching, I think perhaps the biggest difference, um, between like an organization like Christus and maybe one that's not faith-based is the depth of commitment to those values. Um, and I've, you know, been specifically with Christus for five years and I've I have been with organizations where there are values, but eh, they're just kind of there, right? We we all have had those experiences where right, they say there are the values. Yeah, yeah. They're mentioned in the workshop. Again, they might be, you know, there might be uh, something on the wall about them, but they're not, no one really pays much attention to it. Um, and so I think perhaps the biggest difference for Christus, and I can say I have experienced this and observed this, witnessed it. Uh, is that commitment uh, to those values. And so for us specifically, you know, we have sponsoring congregations with board representation and a dedicated team whose focus is holding the entire organization (laughs) accountable um, to those values. And so that's, I think, really where the difference lies. We've taken the time 
to really define each of those values behaviorally. Uh, and we publicly recognize employees who go above and beyond in demonstrating those values. We have a whole program around peer nominations for, you know, people you see who are just, you know, really showing dignity, for example, to our patients or compassion or whatever, or to one another, to their peers. We have a whole program uh, built around recognizing that. So I think the lesson really is that if you want your employees to truly embrace and live those values, your organization's values, um, whether they're kind of based in, you know, Christian uh, teaching or not, the organization has to really invest in that, right, from the top down. And it has to be clear to people that they're important. They need to be rewarded um, and to some extent, measured, um, included in performance conversations and yeah, all of that. So I, I think that's maybe the biggest difference in the lesson to be learned is just really investing in the values that you say you espouse. And I, I do think when there's that espoused value and actual value, you know, enacted value, whatever it is, misalignment, that's where a lot of the angst comes from in yes. in the workplace, right? And mm-hmm. it's it's a lot of disengagement stems from when people get told that these are the values and then they see yeah. leaders not following them and then they see leaders actually being rewarded when they don't follow them. And I think that that just causes so much, you know, missing disengagement, misalignment with within the organization. Mm-hmm. And at you know, Chris's, for example, we even use um, what's called a values-based decision-making model. Hmm. Um, that's r- primarily used for you know those really big, significant decisions, right? You know, at a large organization when you're thinking about things like mergers and acquisitions or or whatnot. Um, but we we teach that decision-making model. You know, we do teach that in our leadership uh, development courses. So, um, and and again like senior leaders, executive leaders, when they're really dealing with those big, big decisions, that model is utilized. So everything is run through the filter of dignity, excellence, compassion, integrity, and stewardship. Um, What are all of the possibilities, you know, with this decision? And then how do they align with our values? So it's really just, it, it's it's about, like you said, yeah, they have to be enacted values and infused through everything. And when, you know, your employees and your patients or your customers can really see and feel that, it makes a, just a huge difference. That's, that's such a great takeaway, I think, for for organizations of all types, too, is, is you know, what, what really are your values? Are you really a values-driven organization? And then, yeah, using them at an executive level when you're making serious organizational decisions. And I think that kind of goes back to what we were talking about with like the future of work too, right? Because people are looking for, um, you know, purpose and meaning and that really flows out, that flows out of those values. And so as we think about all the technological advances that are going to be coming, that's what, that's where the humanity comes from. Um, right? Are the, are, are the values and how we demonstrate those and live those out. Um, and in some ways, I think your ability to do that as an organization will kind of, will probably yield positive outcomes and some things that are 
huge concerns right now, like, you know, like retention and recruiting that the whole war for talent, right? Um, people want to see, I think, I think employees now want to see that values are being enacted and they want to see evidence of that. And that's one of the things that helps them choose where they want to work and also stay, um, be retained. Yeah. It becomes a, it becomes a differentiator. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. As, as a lot of organizations veer away or show that they, they have never actually cared about these, Mm -hmm. the, the ones, the ones that do, Exactly as you said, can can be a beacon for the the right kinds of talent that is aligned with those values and yep. can drive that ongoing engagement. Yeah. So, in terms of um, leadership books and mm-hmm. other resources, doesn't necessarily have to be a book. But um, what do you what do you find yourself coming back to the most often? Um, you know, I I don't know that I go back to leadership books. Um, of, you know. <laughs> You don't, you don't have them uh, just over the mantle. Oh, I do. Uh, I do. But I think really what I go back to um, really, you know, regularly, um, there, are, there, there are a couple of scholars um, from Harvard, um, Robert Keegan and Lisa Leahy-Lasco. Um, they're actually in the educational psychology. They're in educational psychology, but they're they're hmm you know, area of expertise is really adult development. So not, you know, not child development, but adult development. Mm-hmm. And they have a couple of books, um, one that's called Immunity to Change and the other one and Everyone Culture. And they're like mid-2000s publications, like mid, well, mid-2000s, probably they might be like 2010 or something like that. Um, but I really think that they are probably the first um, the first scholars who really started to to look into or, or really deal with that vertical development, uh, like we were talking about earlier, um, in their organizational consulting work, um, and to really write about it and provide some frameworks for thinking about that. So those two books have really informed me a lot. And I don't know how many times I've reread each of them, but every time I, it's one of those things where I go back to them repeatedly because I know I'm always something else, something new will always strike me. Um, And it's great because immunity to change, the first one really takes a look at it more on the individual level. And then in everyone culture um, looks at all of that from that more organizational level. Um, So those are two, I just think great resources, especially if people are interested in, you know, learning more about what it means to focus on the who of the leader um, in that vertical um, development, like we were talking about earlier. Um, and then I think the other thing, I am just fascinated by like interpersonal neuropsychology. Um, and so Dan Siegel is an author that I, you know, kind of go back to regularly, probably his most, um, the, the best book out there, I I think that he has, is called The Developing Mind. But he really talks about, you know, a lot of things I'll be talking about in my book. It's a little bit more academic, um, if you will. But I just love thinking about, like, how do our brains interact with other people's brains? And then how do those interactions really, you know, create new neural pathways and um, 
you know, within us and how can we then, how do our brains continue to change over the course of our lifespan through human interaction? Uh, and so I just am fascinated by those topics and, and go back to his work quite a bit. Those are all all really wonderful recommendations. And I, I do think this um, vertical development in particular for the for the leadership development space is something that everyone in an L&D position really needs to start understanding more and it's you know it's relatively new as you as you mentioned but still it's there's there's a lot out there on it and I think it, it's starting to bring together a lot of these different concepts and mm-hmm. interventions that we we kind of know and have seen that have worked like coaching and OD and like really good leadership development and provide some basis for understanding the mechanisms of how they're they're working so I think that that's such a great rack and then bringing in that that interpersonal um neuropsychology mm-hmm. is, is just really fascinating and um I, I would love to hear from you like how how advanced do you think we are in our understanding of that I've, I've heard all over the place on like this is like very nascent or like we have a we're, we're starting to get a very good understanding of it I'd mm-hmm. love to just hear your perspective as a, a real expert in this Oh, I don't know um, <laughs> if I'd say I'm a real expert, but <laughs> somebody was um, much better equipped to judge the uh, the relative merits of this. You know, I I actually um, I can't even remember where I saw it. I you know I, I think this is another one of those areas. It's just like so rapidly advancing. Um, just as we get as technology advances, and we have you know, greater capability to, you know, kind of understand our brains and how they work because we have like functional MRIs and those types of things. And so, I mean, there has been, you know, quite a bit of research looking at, um, you know, using, you know, fMRIs to look at how people, how people's brains are responding and reacting to different situations, given the quality and the power of of personal um, connection. Um, and belonging uh, that they experience. And so, um, I mean, I feel like based on what I've seen, um, you know, when it comes to things like mirror neurons and how we um, interact with other people and mirror other people's kind of emotional, um, their emotional state, um, their mood, et cetera, we can use if we are, if you have like knowledge about that, even as a leader, right? Like i I know that thinking about research on mirror neurons, that if I'm dealing with someone who is very upset, perhaps uh, a, a team member who's very upset about something and who maybe is getting heightened, one of the th- if if I can stay calm, they will begin to mirror me. And it was the same in, in when I you know worked as a therapist too, right? Like I could bring calm into the situation by maintaining calm myself because we, we begin to mirror each other. Um, but the opposite is also true, right? Like if I allow myself to get frustrated and angry in those situations, then that will continue to escalate because we're going to mirror each other in that direction too. Um, so I, I feel like all of that is very practical and applicable to, you know, what we, what we do as leaders. And there's some really helpful insight to be found. Yeah, that that seems spot on too. Of who are you being as a leader, and who you're showing up as, and you know how does that impact the mm-hmm. the culture? I think that that is that sounds like a, a big link between the leader themselves, as we've mm-hmm. been talking about, and the the overall 
systemic, you know, organization and the culture and and all that of, of who you're being actually reverberates out and, and impacts the culture. And, you know, we can actually like that, like when I was talking about like with kind of going back specifically to interpersonal neuropsychology, if like I, if I am vertically developed myself as a leader and I can maintain calm and show compassion and dignity in the face of, you know, someone who's very upset or very angry, that actually, and that's what the, you know, some of the neuropsychology and the fMRI research shows is that can actually begin to make changes in the other person's neurological connections. They're having an experience that maybe is different than what they're used to, and it begins to create a different neural pathway for them. So it's just fascinating to me that we can be, we can change by the way that we interact with other people. We can actually change not only our own, but contribute to changing the other person's neural pathways as well. It's just fascinating. It really, it really is. And what a refreshing way to look at both like personal growth and the impact of a leader in the, Mm -hmm. this is, this is how leaders can change organizations is Mm -hmm. by who they're being and not necessarily, I mean, there, there's always the, the managerial elements, which are, which are key and we don't want to overlook Mm -hmm. as we've been mentioning. Um, But it's, it's really those follow from who they're being as a, as a leader in, in terms of actually enacting the, the different plans and strategies and all of that kind of stuff. But it really starts with that, that personal level. Yeah, absolutely. So Jamie, this has been a, a really great conversation. I, I really appreciate you taking the time to, to join and, and talk to me about this. Where can um, listeners learn more about the book and get in touch? Yeah. Um, so probably the best place is to, you know, follow me on, on LinkedIn um, because I, um, you know, I do try to kind of post regularly, share some ideas um, about things that are that will uh, be included in the in the book as well. Um, they can also visit my webpage um, and sign up for my monthly newsletter. Again, uh, I'm kind of keeping people updated on how things are coming along uh, with the book, but then also I have some you know sharing some of the ideas and, and thoughts and also reflective exercises and strategies in my newsletter as well. Um, and my website is uh, www.theempathic, so not empathetic. <laughs> Sometimes people, <laughs> and I'm spelling it's, it wrong. Uh, it's the, an on, ongoing, uh, ongoing yeah, consideration yeah, yeah. of the space, right? Yeah. The Empathic Leader, um, and it's a .net. So, uh, or they can also drjamiegoff.com. So they both go to the, the same place. Um, but yeah, I have, they can sign up for my monthly newsletter there. And of course they can reach out to me via, uh, email as well, or, or message me on LinkedIn. That sounds good. And we'll, we'll link to all of that, um, in the show notes and definitely would encourage, um, anyone interested in, in this, which I'm sure many people will be after listening to this on, uh, getting, getting in touch with Jamie and then following along for the, the book launch, um, as well. I, I can't wait to, to read that when it, when it comes out. Thank so you. yeah, very excited. Um, so thanks again for joining me, Jamie. Listeners, thanks as always for listening in. Um, if you got something out of the show, please share with a colleague and leave a quick review on whatever podcast app you're using. It goes a long way in helping to spread the word. And, and Jamie, thank, thanks so much again. Yes, thank you, Dan.